Hello everyone, I'm Jen and welcome to another episode of Monogamish Pod. In celebration of International Women's Day, I've decided that all the episodes this month are going to feature only women as guests. Now, of course, <laughs> Sham will still be present for some of these interviews, but I figured that it's a good time to highlight the amazing women that we have spoken to here on the podcast. So for this week's episode, we're talking to my friend Alex, or as she's known on Instagram, fucks it up the first time. We talked to Alex about her journey into non-monogamy and polyamory, and we also talk a bit about family and acceptance. But before we dive into this episode any deeper, we want to talk to you about our sponsor, altplaygown.net. Now, we've mentioned the podcast corner to you before, which is one of the amazing features that altplayground.net has, and I figured that now would be a time to highlight some of the amazing women who are in those podcasts right there, right? So today, I want to talk to you about the Loving Without Boundaries podcast with Kitty Shambliss. Now, this podcast offers interviews, lessons, and insights on the subject of polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. Their mission is to create more awareness and acceptance of these lifestyle choices through education, communication, and the respectful exchange of ideas. They seek to promote healthy relationships, tolerance, and understanding whether you're already living a life of ethical non-monogamy or you're those people who are curious to know more about it. And they love to create, share stories of courage and growth, encourage loving responsibility, and spread positive energy. So if that sounds like a podcast for you, hosted by an amazing woman who I've actually happened to meet in person, she's quite lovely, then you should head over to altplayground.net, head on over to the podcast corner, and subscribe to Loving Without Boundaries. Now that we've covered altplayground.net, let's dive into our podcast partner, Shelf Love Podcast, and Andrea Martucci's Bridgerton Research Project. Did you know that 82 million households tuned into at least one episode of Bridgerton on Netflix the first month it was available? And did you know that Bridgerton is based on a romance novel series by Julia Quinn? Lots of people who have never picked up a romance novel before are dipping in as a result of the Netflix adaptation. If you are one of those people who don't identify as a romance reader, but decided to read one or more of the Bridgerton novels as a result of watching the show, I am asking for your help. That's right, you. My name is Andrea Martucci, and I'm currently working on a research project to discover how Bridgerton fans are engaging with romance novels and how they perceive the romance fiction genre. I am the host of a podcast devoted to unpacking romance novels called Shelf Love Podcast. What I want to understand is how people get into romance or don't and how new readers perceive genre conventions. So here's how you can take part in this research project. I have a survey that probably just takes about five minutes to fill out. You can find the survey and learn more about the research project by going to bit.ly slash Bridgerton Research. That's bit.ly slash Bridgerton Research. You can also find more information on my website, shelflovepodcast.com. Thank you so much for helping with this project. I really appreciate you. That link one more time is bit.ly slash Bridgerton Research. All right, guys. Here's the interview with Alex. Today, we have the lovely Alex. She's joining Sham and I to talk about her experience in non-monogamy and how she's living and loving in this time, this year of 2020, and the Rona, like, damn. So, Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So first things first, tell us a bit about you. Oh, goodness. I'm an educator. That's what I do for a living. I, I've been in many relationships and I've been exploring ethical non-monogamy. I don't know, maybe for the last seven or eight years. It's been a wild ride. I've learned a lot. Sometimes I joke around with my friends and say, I feel like I've been in every single type of relationship that there can be, but then the next one comes along and there's a lot of new new and fresh stuff to learn from. So I'm, as an educator, I'm dedicated to learning. And I think that relationships are a really great environment to, to do that. So I try to stay open and receptive. I run into my challenges, of course, but that's me in a nutshell. I pursue relationships. And I lean into the discomfort of it. I'm I'm committed to doing relationship well. Okay. Hear that, guys? Take some notes. Take some <laughs> notes. She's been doing this for a while. She's committed to doing it well. I'm I'm all about learning. So here we go. First things first. Did you ever think when you were like baby Alex that you would ever be non-monogamous, like ethically? When I look back to... Like my first experience with non-monogamy, I remember thinking, like I knew that my upbringing taught me that what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't feel bad. Like I had a boyfriend in high school and I cheated on him. And I remember thinking like, I feel bad for hurting this person's feelings, but I don't feel bad for doing what I've done. So I felt like it was necessary for me to share with him what happened. And I was really shocked by his response, which was like, and I'm paraphrasing because we were 16 and 17 at the time. But he said, this really hurts and it sucks, but I still want to be with you. Let's try to make this work. And that really, that, that didn't agree with my knowledge at the time. I was like, I cheated on you. That doesn't make any sense. Like, you should want to leave. And he's like, I don't want to leave. But if we're going to make this work, like, here's all the work that I want you to do. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. So we ended up breaking up. And I remember thinking at that time, not like I'm different or this will lead me on a path to like where I am now, but I do remember thinking, I, I think I should feel differently, but I don't, and I don't know what that is yet. And it, whatever that feeling was or that curiosity was, it's, it continues. It's still, I still sit with it a lot. And that was like my first experience with it. And it's followed into all the other relationships that I've had, like this moment or opportunity to be honest, either before or after your actions and understanding how they affect your relationship. So I knew, yeah, I knew I was different because I didn't see anybody else around me doing it either. And every now and then I, I would meet someone, like the person I was cheating on my boyfriend with, who was a little bit older than me. It was like, he's the only other person I know who's like this. And then I very slowly started meeting, either meeting people who were doing the same and just weren't talking about it, or they were, yeah, new people who were doing it and just not talking about it, or people in my life that I already knew who didn't feel comfortable sharing with me. And then maybe years later, I found out like we were going through the same thing or doing the same thing. Mm. We're taught not to talk about it. So it's you don't realize that you're sharing the same experience with someone until later. So you're all in this secret society. I wouldn't even call it that. It was just like kids, like not aware. And when I look back on that time and compare it to the youth now, it's like how great that like certain things have advanced so that 
a young person who's like maybe 12 or 13 or a teenager right now is more likely than not going to be given the room to explore their sexuality in a safe way that doesn't shame them. I think there's more of that happening now than there was when I was growing up. And I think that the same things were happening when I was younger. We just didn't talk about it and we didn't have a safe avenue to talk about it. So we kept it to ourselves. So I don't think it was a society per se, but it was a shared experience. And as adults, we're all talking about it now. Like the desire to explore sexuality or, oh, I wonder what it feels like to do this. Or I think about these things, but I don't feel like I have anybody that I can talk to about it. That makes sense. I know some people now who as adults are still struggling with that just because of how enmeshed they are in monogamous culture and what that looks like and the friends they have, the families they have. There's no sort of being able to genuinely explore that in a meaningful way because of the, the guilt that they feel about it. Oh, I, I I can't relate to that. I don't feel the guilt around, I don't feel the guilt around it, but I do feel like I, I will more likely than not explore and like figure, figure my stuff out and answer the questions that I have. It's turning back to like my monogamous cultures or my, the groups in my life that are, that lean towards convention. And I find that I don't feel like I'm able to present myself fully to those particular communities because it's just better if I don't. And it's not because, oh, they don't deserve to know about me. It's just simpler and easier for me to not share because I don't want to put the energy into having to explain anymore. Like the longer I'm in this lifestyle, the less I want to explain to people who either don't understand or don't want to understand. That's just growing up. The longer you're here, you just can't be bothered to explain anything anymore. Just yeah, either you're into it or you're not. Yes. The details are my own business. And then also, if you're really curious, like we can have a chat, but not right now and not in front of all these people. If you want to have a one-on-one conversation with me and ask me genuine questions about my life, I will answer you, but not here, not right now. And especially in, well, you know, holidays are going to be different this year, but around this time, it's like, oh, are you seeing anybody? What does your life look like? La-di-da. And it's just, it's uncomfortable to share. So I find that I talk to, I tend to talk to my family about relationship in the abstract <laughs> instead of going into details about what my life looks like. And then I'll lean towards something else. I don't feel comfortable talking about this, but I'll talk to you about work or I'll talk to you about something else and food and cooking because I really like cooking and just, I, I veer the conversation away. That's true. I feel like, you're right, especially around the holidays, people get hella nosy about what you're doing. Like, with your romantic life and with your genitals, they're all they always have ideas and they yeah. always want to know about it. Yeah. Why is that? You think is it because this is the the one of the times that we've put into our minds as the true catch up that you get that'll last for a year? I think that it's in in some weird way, and, and and especially for my family, it's just their way of showing that they care about you, and they're curious about you, and sometimes. I've not received that. I get very defensive and I say not maybe hurtful things around you don't need to know. Why do you need to know? Or like sharing things, but to a point and then not sharing anything beyond that. And I, I think that it is genuine curiosity just to see what you're up to. And especially in in my culture, or at least what I have received from growing up is that marriage and family are accomplishments that deserve to be spoken about or are expected to be spoken about. So it's that's great. You've got your job, like 
you're supporting yourself, whatever. What about this? And it's like this expectation that it's an accomplishment that you'll eventually reach. So I've started asking questions, mostly just to my immediate family. What if I don't? What if I don't get married? What if I don't have children? Are you going to, are you really going to keep asking me this same question? Like the way that you're asking, what if I don't? (laughs) And from some of my family members and one in particular, they say, I'm going to keep asking because I want you to be happy. And I think that will make you happy. Yeah, I'm going to ask. I'm like, okay, and I'm, I'm going to continue answering. And then there's an uncomfortable, awkward silence. And then we move on. <laughs> That's just, yeah, I get it. But they think that marriage and a family will make you happier than you are right now. I think that, again, and this is specific to my family. I, they've seen me go in and out of relationships. Many times I have a niece and she's, I I guess she's a preteen right now. I have a niece. And I remember one time she was like, auntie, you've had a lot of boyfriends. (laughs) And my, my family doesn't know about my lifestyle. So the ones that she's seen are the ones that I've introduced to my family. She doesn't know that I've had many more partners than the ones that she's met. And she's like, why have you had so many partners? And I was like, your parents weren't each other's first partners. And I have another sibling and I'm like, they, my sister and her husband, they're not each other's first partners. And grandma and grandpa probably saw people before they got married. But you just haven't witnessed me experience the same thing that everybody else in the family has. And I was like, I'm just different. And it's, it is really hard for people to understand because they think that marriage is the ultimate thing. I'm not going to lie. There is maybe like a conflict within myself because of my life choice that leans up against my upbringing. It's here's my life choice and here is what I grew up with. And sometimes those things lean up against each other and it feels like I have to make a choice, but it can be an and, right? I can be in the lifestyle and I can be married and have children. Like I can picture that for myself. Maybe in terms of presenting to my public or my like my community, I may you know, look like, walk, talk like I'm in a monogamous marriage with a family, but maybe there's something about our relationship that allows me to express the part of my sexuality and my preferences in a way that agrees with what makes me happy. So I've I've figured out different things to say to my family around marriage that I think are satisfying enough answers for them. And I try to find different ways to say it each time I'm asked. And I think they've learned to, the frequency of asking has stopped. I'm 33 now. And I think when I was around 24, 25 through 30, around there, like those years, which is basically when I started doing all of this, choosing this lifestyle instead of convention, I started saying things like, I need you to be okay with me being okay with not being married. Like you don't have to be okay with me not being married. That's okay. You can be dissatisfied with seeing me in how, however you see me, but I need you to be okay with me being okay with it. You can't make me want this the way that you want me to want it. So just let me experience whatever my relationship is, it is what my relationship is with this thing on my own. Or can you accept that it's going to look different than what you chose? Like my parents... My dad is the only man that my mom has ever been with, ever. Like, she is deeply monogamous. Like, she's the definition of monogamy. Like, she was courted by other men when she was growing up. But when she met my dad, she was like, this is the one. 
and they they got married and that's been it like they've been married for i don't know 40 something years wow and that, yeah i know and it's like, mom that's your choice and she worries i remember her worry with me like I had my second boyfriend and then I had my third boyfriend that she knew about. And then like, I've had many boyfriends, but they worry about me and I just let them, I let them worry. It's okay. If you want to do that to yourself, if you want to worry about my life, then you can do that. But I'm not going to do anything about it to make you happy because what's important is that I'm happy. That's definitely what's most important. And if that's their version of how they got here, I can see why anything else would be confusing to them because to them, they're just like, oh, you just meet someone when you're young and... You just live with them forever. What's yeah. the problem? Yeah. That's all you yeah. got to do. But I do want to say that first quote you made is probably our first quote before the, for this episode, which is, uh, I need you to be okay with me being okay with not finding with... someone. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. That's a perfect way to, to say that statement. And I, I had to say it that slowly to them because it's, I knew that this would not compute. And I had to say it like a few more times because they were very confused. They were like, I don't understand what you're saying. It's like, I'm okay with this. Can you just let me be okay with not having what you think I should have? And you don't need to be okay with me not being married, but you just need to yeah. be okay mm-hmm. that I'm okay. Yeah. Perfect little quote. Yeah. It's like that idea of the relationship escalator where it's always, you're always trying to move to the next step in any single relationship you're in. So yeah. me, you're dating, you're together, like in a serious relationship, you're engaged, you're married, you have kids, you do all this stuff and you just continue up and up until the end, whatever the end is, which is probably just like death, which sounds morbid, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like you, you just have to be taking these steps to get to whatever. And it feels as if a lot of people believe that your goal in life is to find someone that escalator with yes i do i still like experience discomfort around the ideas of relationships needing to be linear like even in the lifestyle i do there are some big disagreements and like heavy emotion and stress cycles around like wanting my relationship so deeply to be linear and wanting them to progress in a certain direction and being present in relationship is definitely continues to be one of my biggest challenges for sure. So what would you say your relationship style is now? Like we usually ask people like what type of poly they are, if it's solo, hierarchical, whatever relationship, anarchy. So there are a lot of different terms, of course, people throw around. So what does your poly life look like to you, your non-monogamous life look like to you? I would say that I am a hierarchical polyamorous person. I don't necessarily like that, but I've observed it of my behavior. And I notice that is how I function in a relationship. That is not necessarily always what happens, but I do know that it's my tendency to lean towards prioritizing one partner. Okay. And is it more of a you date them like all separately? There's no sort of kitchen table vibe. It's more like each relationship is independent. There's no kind of community together situation. In my last serious relationship, there were a couple of experiences that former partner and I had where we shared a partner. And then there were other, like in an emotional and romantic and physical way. And then there were other parts of our relationship where um, he had another partner and she and I had somewhat of a friendship and we established lines of communication just so that everyone could feel like they were being seen and heard in regards to their wants and needs in the relationship, their limitations and boundaries in the relationship. But I would not have considered her like my partner. We were 
metamors to each other for sure. We just happen to have a closer relationship than I've heard other metamors having. So you have been in like a triad-like situation before then? Yes. I would say that most of my experiences in the last eight years that have been profound for me have been in a V. And I feel like I've been on every point of the V at least once. Mm, And sometimes between the two edges of the V, like the two top points of the V, sometimes there's like a solid line between me and that other person and it feels more like a triad. And then sometimes there's like a dotted line. And then sometimes there's just like clear breaks, like you're on that side of the V, I'm on this side of the V. And there's our partner in the middle, but we don't, (laughs) we don't have a relationship. Yeah. Okay. Or just like a, I see you. And right. that's monogamous it. trigonometry is the best to just work out all the shapes. It's like, okay. I love that. Right. You call it that. Exactly what it is. Oh, so it's this shape. Oh, but this shape has a different line. I was like, okay, this is a math problem, but like a fun yeah. math problem. <laughs> yeah. Like I said earlier, like I've just, I feel like I've been in so many different types of relationships and it doesn't matter what environment I'm in. I still continue to veer towards one partner for sure. Even if it like hurts me, like I will stick to the commitment that I've made with someone else, even though I know that I'm falling hard for a new partner. And I'm realizing that, or at least in the the last time this happened with me, nobody cares about it as much as I do. They just, it seems like everyone around me has an easier time of saying it is what it is. And those are the feelings. And if there's movement in your heart towards this person, then go towards that person. And if there's movement in your heart towards continuing to move towards me then continue to move towards me and you know sometimes we can move in different directions at the same time and all that other stuff but I do I still again I'm just going to say it again because we're talking about this but my upbringing instilled in me this strong like almost involuntary desire to prioritize a partner and for that partner to prioritize me even though we have other partners or maybe one of us has other partners and it's it's a continued conflict for me i sit with it though like i'm willing to do the work around it and i'd like to be better at it it's hard to sit with the uncertain though yeah i mean this is this is more in sham's wheelhouse than mine because while i have done that one time i've never done it again which is weird now that I think about it. So Sham, take it away as the married (laughs) man in this conversation, who is also polyamorous. Tell the people what's going on there because you have that sort of hierarchical life as well. Yeah, that's just what happens. So I understand what you were saying before, which was if you're, even if you're not trying to be hierarchical, it's still going to end up working out that way. Especially with me because you're married. It's going to be hard to meet someone new and say, oh, you're on the same level. That is the relationship now. So I definitely understand the feeling of being there and, as I said, being part of the hinge and all of that. Okay. So that's what your you know ideal sort of structure is now, what you say you practice. So tell me about what dating looks like for you now. Like we're in a pandemic, so yeah. I don't know what anyone's doing. If anything's all long <laughs> distance, if you have local partners, what does that look like for you now? I am partnered with one person right now, and he is partnered to someone else. And he lives maybe like 15 minutes away from me. So there was a period of time at the beginning of the pandemic where we weren't seeing each other because we were trying to be careful. 
And after that waiting period, we when what basically once testing was available to the masses, we were like, okay, cool, we can see each other. So we see each other maybe like once a week. I'm not necessarily pursuing relationship with anyone else right now because of the pandemic. It's just when I think about dating right now, it makes me want to throw up a little bit. <laughs> like letting someone in. Everything is it feels so heavy right now and I'm doing a lot of emotional processing in general. But I do continue to hold space for people in my life that have been partners and it's okay. I'm not necessarily closed off to us like pursuing something further later. But it's just like right now, it just feels like very much on pause. So there there are a few, I'm going to say maybe three people, four people in my life right now where it feels like it's not necessarily just a friendship. I hold them in a regard that's like close to my heart, either because of our history or because the conversations that we have started during this time have um, elicited some type of affection from me towards them. And I, because of where I'm at in relationship to relationship right now. It doesn't feel ethical to me to pursue anything beyond the spaces that we share with each other, emotional space that we share with each other, because if I went beyond the, that question for me begs to ask, I guess it begs the question, am I seeking out because of deficit or am I seeking out because of a genuine curiosity in connecting with another person? And I do think if I look at myself in the mirror, it feels like I'm seeking out from a place of deficit and I don't want them to feel bad about that. And I've had a very transparent conversation with someone recently around it. Hey, like I think about you and me saying, I think about you too, but I just want you to know that like when I think of you, it's because of something that's going on in my current relationship that makes me want something from someone else. And you just happen to be the person in that space right now. And I don't want to treat you that way. Because I think that what you would want with me, if it were going to start, would not be this. So we both agreed to just set it down and continue to interact with each other in the limited way that we do, but not make any plans towards like a physical visit or allowing our conversations to veer towards more than just a cordial attraction. Okay, I can see that, especially that whole seeking people in a way of from deficit as opposed to genuine desire for that particular person. You know? Yeah, I and I know what it's I know what it's like to feel like oh, like you just want me because you're filling in a space that somebody else can't right now. So that makes me, it makes me feel icky when I think about someone doing that to me or me doing that to somebody else. Oh, wow. So I'm trying to be really conscious about my intention around connecting with other people. And I'll just be honest now. Like, what a time to be honest because it just saves everyone some time. If I say to them, like, I'm feeling lonely because of X, Y, and Z, I don't necessarily need to talk about it, but I wanted you to know that this is what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. And it's going to affect and influence the way that I connect with you right now because I'm distracted by whatever I'm carrying because of this situation. Are you okay with connecting with me in this way 
do you have space to to share with me for me to either be this way talking to you about something else knowing that it's heavy on my heart or can you hold space for me to talk to you about what's on my heart because sometimes people want to connect with me or I want to connect with them and we don't want the things that are happening in the in their other relationships or our other relationships to affect what's going on between us and that's it's so hard it feels so contrived like the the conversations can feel really contrived because I I I try to set the stage or the tone of conversations to say, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're not talking about kind of thing, but not as clear. I try to be more gentle and organic about it. And then for some relationships, it's harder for me. Like my roommate, we're not, we're not partnered in any way outside of just living with each other, but she hears about my relationship all the time, my relationships all the time. And sometimes like we are now having to utilize a system of consent around whether or not she has space for me to share. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people don't think about that element of it, too, where you just default this person. That's assuming that you guys have a relationship or a friendship aside from sharing bills, which, you know, is different. But yeah, I have been in that role before as a roommate, just a constant heir. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, I have boundary issues. That's not something that I could navigate at the time. But now if that were to happen, I'd be like, nope, nope. What we're not going to do is that. Yeah, I don't have I don't have the capacity for that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to port you the next closest person who does. Cheers. We can check in another time. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you brought up. You basically made a problem that exists. Well, not a problem, but I don't know what to call it. The way you talked about not wanting to bring someone in just because they're there to fill a void or just seeking someone out just because you feel like you need to, in right. a sense. But then you also brought in the perfect solution or the best way to do something like that, which is just communicate, just be honest, just be upfront Mm -hmm. and say, that's what you're looking for right now. This is why I'm pursuing you or courting or whatever you call it. And if they're okay with it, because there are people who will be fine with that. Some people don't really want the, they're not looking for a straight up, fully committed in love relationship. Some people just, yeah, I want something simple right now. Right. And what you're looking for is perfect for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to what we always say on this show. Communication is the most important thing in any relationship, but in especially a non-monogamous relationship, because this is the one kind of relationship where everybody needs to know what's going on. Yeah. And I've told my partner through this time, sometimes it feels like I can't turn to you and I'm feeling lonely and I would like to be comforted. And sometimes I think about calling someone and asking them to like, just come hold me. And he was like, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) I thought it was going to be this big thing. And he's if that's what makes you happy and that's what you need, that's fine. And it's just, again, it, as long as I, I do feel like as long as I communicate to people what my intentions are, then it's fine. And there are those, I do think that there are people, at least within my community right now, like, like already established relationships and friendships and connections that I could call and say, hey, like, we have to figure out this COVID thing, but can we make arrangements for us to just like cuddle? I would really like that, but that's it. <laughs> so would that be like friends with benefits, but the only benefit is cuddling? Because I'm fully into that as a concept. I think that that is, it's a moving status, right? It, it's not, you're my friend, you're my friends with benefit that I turn to 
and every time we see each other it's just cuddles I do think that I have another I don't even want to say like former partner but we're just not seeing each other right now and I went through some changes in relationships so that there's like some distance between us now but we still relate to each other in a very close intimate way we're just not physical with each other anymore and maybe I have to partner-ish kind of people in my life who are like this that I can turn to. They both feel big brothers, but also partners at the same time. And we have love for each other, but it's not necessarily like this lasting, romantic, committed relationship love. And they're both, they are also both partnered and I'm friends with both of their partners. So it feels very family. So we leave each interaction open to what may happen. And then it's on each of us to communicate the consent around those things. So like I have to be very specific and say, I know that when we're around each other, there's potential for things physically to move in many directions. And I will take responsibility for myself and my body and say, this is all I'm comfortable with. Even if it's just like a snug, snuggle. And, and they respect it. Sometimes they'll joke around it and say, ha like how successful will it be for us to not touch each other? And I'm like, I think I would do a pretty good job. Like I can draw that line and respect that boundary and limitation, especially right now because of COVID and we want to make sure everybody's safe. But I try to cultivate that type of relationship with almost everyone that could be a potential, at least physical partner like leaving it open instead of saying these are the things that we do and like for an indefinite amount of time that's just like the stamp and the label that we put on our relationship okay so you're are you more like into titles or would you consider yourself more of a title less person or use titles only in uh, more committed relationships right can you be more specific around this question Oh, yeah. So I know that some people are always, oh, yeah, this is my boyfriend. This is my this. This is my that. And they use specific titles for specific people who hold, quote unquote, certain positions in their life. Is that something that you like to do? Or do you just the relationship is whatever it is. And if you guys decide on a title for each other, then you use that. But otherwise, it's just generic. I think partner is the term that I use most comfortably in all avenues. Like whether I'm in a conventional or non-conventional space, I'm finding that not only am I, but most people are starting to use just the word partner. And I like that. I like that a lot because it's saying like, I'm connected to this person. I do not need to be specific with you. Like you don't get to know yet. Like that's the function of the titles for me. I think that in some spaces in the conventional world, it just works out better for everyone's comfort for with again because I just don't want to take the time or energy to explain to just say like boyfriend because if you say you read the room and if you said partner you'd be asked like you know oh do you mean partner like you're a lesbian and you have a girlfriend and I'm like like that's not out of the realm of possibility so I'm just gonna say partner can we just be okay with you knowing that I have a partner do you need to know what their sexuality is or what my sexuality is, does it really matter? So I think that I like using the word partner in any regard, but sometimes it doesn't feel like quite a partnership. So if I have the opportunity to introduce someone to someone in my life, I might just say this is, or this is my date or whatever. (laughs) I just try to read the room and I also try to read my, my partner or my date or whomever. And like, before we walk in, to a space together, 
before COVID, right? I'd say, hey, like, how would you like to be called before we walk into this thing? So the only official title is partner. So anyone else is just either a date or they're just their name, this the, the person. Yeah. Like your, mm-hmm. your friend cuddle person, your friend that you can call on for cuddles. Yeah, I would probably, probably the tone that I use to say the word friend would imply to my friends who know me, like Uh, what kind of friend it is. So So it's like, oh, is this your friend? I'd be like, yeah, this is my friend. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I might say if it's a comfortable space and everybody is aware, I'd be like, this is my snuggle buddy. And that's it. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what kind of, I know you're in the West Coast. And so uh-huh. there is a dearth of like polyamorous and non-monogamous everything <laughs> over there. So yeah. what is your non-monogamous community look like? My non-monogamous community looks like a combination of people that I've been friends with for a very long time. And we've slowly discovered about each other that we are more similar than not. And then I don't want to say smaller, but a community of people that I was introduced to through my last partnership. And those, I was at a point in life where I was feeling very adventurous and I wanted to explore a lot. So it was a community of people and we met regularly for play parties and that was really fun and exciting. So a lot of those friendships that I gained from my time in that community have remained But that specific group of people no longer meets together for play parties the way that we used to. Yeah, I I can imagine things are things are what they are right now. It's not necessarily because of our current circumstances, but because of falling outs and differences in differences. (laughs) Yeah, just differences in navigating the space. Okay, got it, got it, got it. We don't need to go into any more detail than that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, So you have your community, you're building your stuff together. And I know that we touched on this a little bit, but your family is very much in the monogamous, centered, oriented people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anyone in your family who's aware of your non-monogamous lifestyle? My my brother knows everything. And my one of my cousins One of my cousins and my brother knows everything. And then my brother's wife knows a lot, but not everything. Okay, so you do have some allies, quote unquote, in in family situations to help back you up if things get a little uncomfortable. I don't don't know if they would. I think they're aware of me and they're like, we're going to let you do you. But I would never ask of them or put them in a situation where I would need them to defend my choices. Like I know that their choices are not my choices and they hold the space for me to listen. But there's some, I I don't want to say, there is discomfort. There's discomfort in their, them, they experience discomfort learning more about me. And I've had some deep thoughts around, I just want to tell my mom. I just, I want to be able, I want to be able to talk to her about this. I want to be able to, I feel that my relationship with my mom would change if she knew everything about me. We would magically turn into the mother-daughter relationship of us like calling each other every day because in in my mind, the fantasy around that is that she would be genuinely curious and just want to know more about me and love these parts of me that she hasn't known about for so long. And I debate with myself a lot around like what hurts more my mom seeing that I'm happy or unhappy and not knowing why or 
would it hurt her more to know? Because then, because of her upbringing and what she thinks is best and how she brought me up, would it just be heartbreaking to her to feel like a failure of a mother that I didn't turn out the way that she wanted me to? So I, because I would rather not that happen, I, that's most of the reason why I don't share with my family is because I don't want my mother to feel like a failure. She already does because I'm not married. Oh man, that is different, but she already feels some type of failure around being a mother to me. And that's a hard conversation that we've had too. I was like, listen, like it's not easy being your daughter and she's not easy being your mom. Like we butt heads a lot. And I know that sharing with her who I am fully would hurt her. And the only reason why that came up is because I told my brother, I was like, I think I want to tell mom. And he was like, I beg you, I beg you, do not tell her. Don't tell her, please. For the sake of our family, please don't. And I was resistant to that. I was like, excuse me, I get to decide what I tell my mom. But I hear what he's saying. And it makes me very uncomfortable. And I do wish I just think that my parents are old enough now and they're not going to change. They've expressed to me because I've asked them flat out on different topics. Can you commit to learning? Are you like, can you develop with me in this relationship? We're all adults now. Can we have, can we cultivate a better relationship through these avenues? And I've just, I've been flat out told, no, I'm too old I don't, I'm, I won't be reprimanded by my daughter into changing something that has been working for the last however many years, decades. It's like, I'm too old to change. And I'm sorry that I committed to you that I would learn and change and grow with you, but I'm just not going to do it, which was heartbreaking. So it's like, okay, that's really disappointing. I still love you. And inside I'm saying to myself, and you'll never know who I am, really. Wow, that's heavy, but I fully understand. And it's, yeah, the whole, the, the point of, it's like you have two different fantasies. Like there's a fantasy side of it and just a nightmare side of it where it's they learn and your mom would want to learn and talk to you about it every day. And you wish it could be that easy, but then there's also the fear of the it being hard for her and stuff. Yeah. And wow. <laughs> See, I, I haven't thought it. about my mother that far into this because I'm not even sure if she knows I have sex. I'm married, so... I would assume she knows, but it's still yeah. it's like one of those things you can't even, I can't even fathom. It's like, like right. does she know having sex? She must know because she wants me to have a, a, a grandchild. So clearly she must know. But also, does she? <laughs> the mm. idea of, of my mom knowing having sex is weird, even as a 31-year-old man. So yeah, I can see that for you being very difficult to work out in your head. I do believe, though, that like my parents... They love me to the best of their ability. Like every other way that there is to show me love, they show me love and they try to understand. They really do. They try to understand. But it's this one area, like my love life or whether or not I'm going to get married and have kids and stuff. That's where a lot of the misunderstanding is drawn from. And it's hard for me to not focus on it, but I do occasionally have to take a step back and look at our relationship and say they really love me like they really love me and they show me all the time 
And I've been very specific about my asks and wants and needs, but if they feel like they're showing up to their relationship between the three of us and doing the best that they can, and that's their best effort, then I have to do work around receiving that and forgiving them for the things that they can't do. And that's a whole other thing, like out, like, you know, outside of poly and outside of romantic relationships, but the relationship within family and just being able to forgive and the what I'm learning from that experience with my parents is that I'm learning to be more forgiving towards my partner, especially right now. Like there was a quote that uh, actually one of my former partners, like from way back, was like, sometimes like people do the best that they can and sometimes the best that they can do is just really messed up. Yeah, that's, and, that's facts. Yes. And I've shown up like a relationship that I've shown up to, I know I can look back on the last seven or eight years or whatever and say, I did not do my best in that relationship. I could have done better. And I failed as a partner. And so now as I witness my partner in in our relationship now, I see him facing the same challenges that are setting him up for the same failures. And I tell him, I choose to love you through your learning. It sucks and it hurts, but I wish that I had someone who stayed with me and sat with me through the discomfort and said, this sucks and it hurts, but I still love you and I'm still here. Instead of not good enough, peace out. I'm trying to be more understanding in this space towards him because when I ran into those feelings, I was left by two partners at once at the same time. So he's in a similar situation. He has two partners. He's in this V and it's very complicated complicated and complex and he's managing it the best that he can but at the end of the day like I told him the other day like you have to face like you're going to hurt people's feelings and like part of our relationship because you've chosen to be in this lifestyle is that my feelings are going to hurt sometimes your other partner's feelings are going to hurt sometimes your feelings are going to hurt sometimes like it's not glamorous I don't wish these preferences on anyone because you have to deal with the discomfort and the pain but it makes the joy and the in the joy and the happy moments and all of that. I'm so much more grateful for those moments because I see all the work that we've done around it. And I feel like I'm doing a better job of showing up because I'm able to sit with him and his learning and say, yes, I can I continue to love you through this. And he's grateful and communicates to me how grateful he is that I give him the promise of love despite his failures. Yeah, that's definitely important. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that we were all new once. Yeah. We were all figuring things out once. So you've been in this about seven, eight years. How long has your current partner been in this? Since we started dating. So I don't know, almost a little over a year and a half. In March, it will be two years. When we met, I was in another partnership. And yeah, it was, it again, it was complicated. <laughs> Yeah, I see that. Okay. But yeah, so yeah, he's still in the beginning part of his journey. And, and so- this is the reason why I started the Instagram account where you found me. The concept is like everybody fucks it up the first time. And it's there are so many first times and the, the mistakes are how we learn. So it's as I'm witnessing him through his first year and a half to two years of doing this ethically with me, it's I'm recounting all of the things that I've gone through that give, have given me the base of knowledge that I have to the experiences that I went through to develop my own integrity, to develop my own sense of morality around this thing. Like you can read books, you can go to 
conferences or watch a YouTube video or whatever, but you don't know how you'll act and what you'll consider good, like good behavior towards the benefit of all of the relationships until you're in it. So that that's why I started that Instagram account is because I wanted a space to capture these moments in my life where we made mistakes. Like we made really big mistakes. The post that I put up was with one of my former partners. Like we wrote down that one of the rules of us opening our relationship, this was my first serious open relationship. We wrote down no falling in love. That's ridiculous. We didn't know any better, but that was a big mistake. And I was the one who fell in love with someone else. And I learned a lot from that. Yeah, that's a real rookie mistake. I understand (laughs) the motivation behind it. Because, you know, you Uh don't want, you're you're thinking about, oh, I only want to be in love with you. It should only be physical or whatever but yeah as you get older and as you get more into the lifestyle you realize some things are maybe not unrealistic but you gotta temper expectations just just a little bit well i agree number one being you can't control someone else's feelings no you can't no of course you can't you just gotta you gotta say it and the, the level does never appear no matter what it's like Blue Skidoo weekend too. We just say, you'll never fall in love with someone else. Abracadabra. And then that's it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I say I've had a similar setup where a former partner is, yeah, you can have sex with other women or whatever, but like no one that you used to date, no one that you have feelings for. Because there's this idea that obviously if there's a saying in Jamaica, oh, fire stick, easy for catch. So, you know, old flames are easily to be rekindled once you're in the right situation, which is true and not true at the same time, I guess. But there were a lot of rules surrounding my outside interactions with other people as we were exploring our not monogamous journey. And yeah, of course, looking back now, I was hella resentful of it (laughs) because for me, once having in love with him, planning a future with him, there was never an idea in my mind of falling in love with someone else or going anywhere with anyone else to yeah. to leave him. If I fell in love with someone else, it would be like, a, I love you and this other person. Yeah. So how do we navigate that? But yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> we all make those rookie mistakes, don't we? Yeah. And I think that my current partner has a really... Language is so important to me. Like good communication is great, but language and how you use it is so important. I think that he uses language in a way that helps me sit with that, that discomfort of not knowing, you know, like sometimes people say, oh, there's an endless amount of possibilities. And like your mind immediately goes to the negative. And I'm raising my hand up here and saying most of the time my hand, my, my mind does go to the negative when I know that there's an infinite amount of possibilities of how an open relationship can end up or how it will move forward. And that uncertainty, I think he does a really good job of using language to help me feel like there's reason for me to hope towards a future with each other that looks the way that we want it to look, even though there is so much uncertainty around it. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. You guys are figuring that out. That's great. So what would you tell younger Alex at the beginning of the journey? What do you know now that you would have definitely loved to have heard then as you were starting out? What would I have loved to hear then? I think not necessarily like it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling, but 
You know what I really would have loved? I would have loved someone older in my life to hand me ethical slut or opening up or more than two or just some type of like on paper, like hard copy. This is a thing. Because the the moment that I felt most myself and okay with who I was and how I was different was when I started to learn that, oh, this is a thing and other people do it and it's an option. This is an option for me. And I'm not, I'm not unusual for wanting this choice, right? Like I wanted to be shown when I was younger that there are many different ways to express love and many different ways to express sexuality. So you just want something something concrete that just said, this is something that exists, not just a one person, but you need like some kind of authority to say, this is an entire lifestyle that's being lived right now and you're not alone yes there are other people like you there is a community of people throughout the entire world that engages in this and it's a sustainable model like i think that would have been very helpful because still what i sit with now is this again my choices against my culture and my upbringing saying these are the things that i choose and i want and I've been educated around and I continue to live this lifestyle. And then this is what I was taught. And I, I, I want, I think that kind of message to me as a younger person would have let me know that it doesn't have to be one or the other, but it can be like both like a yes. And yes, it's this, but it's also this in a way mm-hmm. that like, doesn't, you know, like as long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as you're not, hurting one intentionally there are things that you can do and choices that you can make to cultivate happiness and joy and like life and family and something that looks like marriage even though it's not traditional marriage or I wanted to be shown like you said by some authority figure that it's an option yeah I can definitely see that that's something I think that's be beneficial to a lot of people. I mean, especially coming from, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that your your culture is conservative, but that's how it's, it appears to me as another conservative cultured person. Like Shem and I are both Jamaican and you're with your Filipino upbringing is kind of like very, well, like I said, it, it, it comes across as very religious to me as well. Was that necessarily oh, the truth? Yeah. Or, yeah. I was, I, I grew up and I was raised in like, super Catholic culture. And yeah, I would say that it was really conservative in regards to, like specifically in regards to relationship, it was conservative for sure. I mean, there were other things that like my parents were, I want I don't want to say loose, but they were open and understanding. Like I, I veer towards the arts and they let me read whatever I wanted to read. Like they didn't know, it's so funny. They didn't know that I was reading romance novels from the drugstore they just knew that I was reading and they were happy that I was reading and not necessarily aware that what I was reading was like highly sexual content so like I had a lot of freedom around specifically education like they let me learn whatever I wanted to learn but when it came to like when it really came down to it what was valuable to them is that I was I don't want to say obedient it's not necessarily obedient but that I was representing the family well 
that yes. my choices were representing the family in a light that agreed with how they wanted to be seen. And that's where we started butting heads, which was like when I started high school, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Or I don't believe this. Or so uh, there, there was definitely a lot of it didn't feel conservative growing up. And now that I'm older and I look back, it was conservative or is it can it remains conservative. But there are also things that I learned from my upbringing that I take into my relationships in the non-conventional world that kind of ground me and help me navigate through my relationships. So it's hard. Like, I, I don't really look at it like, I broke away from convention. I'm free. Like, it's not really like that. But it, things were strict. And I've been going against, against the grain since I was young. So that conflict is not new for me. And maybe that's why I'm talking about it the way that I'm talking about it. I don't know. That one's... I don't want to say it's tough, but there's a lot behind it. And I don't know if I have all the words for it right now. Yeah, no, I feel that. I wasn't raised religious, but Sham, you were raised Catholic, right? Yep. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but it was weird because my parents are not married. So it was very much, I got the lessons in the church, but my home life was not very reflective of that kind of lifestyle. So there's not that much pressure to be proper Christian and Follow. They told they wanted me to be married and monogamous, of course, but it wasn't. There wasn't that much pressure to to live by the Bible, so to speak. So I just went to church and my own business, but there wasn't much pressure on my part. So I didn't experience that as much. Yeah, I I, I would say the same. Like we weren't taught to live like by the Bible, but the the social aspect of church and like showing up and going to confession and. Like being seen at church was very important. Oh, yeah. I know all about that. Yeah. It wasn't about, it was just the social aspect of it that I was shown, I, I suppose. Yeah. No, like I said, I didn't grow up religious at all, aside from school, where, you know, in Jamaica, all school is religious. So that's a whole thing. <laughs> like I in got the to US, sleep on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to sleep on Sundays, except for as with my dad. If I was with my dad, I was on the road doing all sorts of weird stuff, going fishing or whatever it is that he wanted to do. But yeah, when I was with my mom, I could sleep in more or less. We didn't have to get up super early or get dressed for church and do anything surrounding that. But of course, my Monday to Friday life at school, we had mandatory devotion every morning, every semester. They would, they would save some girls who finally decided to come to Jesus. I've gotten saved multiple times as a performative thing, of course, because they're like, oh, you don't go to the church? Oh, no, we need to save you vibes. But yeah, I don't have a lot of those like in church experiences that like you and Sham would have in that performance of it. But for me, it was just the school aspect of it every single morning. There is no exceptions. The only person who got excused from it was the girl who was a Jehovah's Witness. Everybody, even the Jews had to do it. Even the Jewish people had to do it. So it was like, yeah, we're all here doing the thing. It, different. Even though Sham and I grew up in the same country, we have like, similar friends. It's just a totally different religious background for both of us. Yeah, I feel like almost everyone that I've run into in the non-conventional world has had some type of religious upbringing that they've left. Or sometimes still hold on to, but in... In different ways. I think that I still hold on to a lot, for sure. My current partner and I, I feel like we connect on that level. He grew up in a different faith than me. But I think that when we talk about our experiences with religion, it enriches our relationship and our understanding of partnership towards each other. 
And that's new for me. I've never had a partner where I've related on this level around this specific topic. And I, it's refreshing. I will say that does come up a lot. We find even us interviewing people that there's always some religious background that they're, that people are going against, not going against on purpose, but they're just not following as much as they used to because they're living this lifestyle now. Yes. And I feel like it's that rule of the further you push in one direction, the child is going to go in the other direction. Yeah. Because similarly, anyone who is an LGBTQ usually say when they were growing up, they were always pushed to be one thing and they just went the other direction as far as convention is concerned. So that, that, that could be a thing. I guess like it's it was a very gradual thing for me. Like I just, I remember listening to homilies, mostly homilies, and I would listen to whatever the priest had to say. And I'd say, I don't agree with that. (laughs) And just decided I don't believe in that part (laughs) or I will not do what you're saying. And looking around to see like people's reactions to what was being said, not necessarily by the priest, but also by like, our small group leader, like, or sorry, our small youth group leaders, like we would get into small groups and... Uh, good old youth group. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like after mass, like all the youth would get together and we would talk about the topics that were discussed in the gospel. And I remember just like being shocked at some of the things that were being taught and looking around at my friends and saying, are you eating this up? Because I'm, I am rejecting this. Quietly, I'm quietly rejecting this and I'm wondering if you are as well. So like this quiet filtering of friends because I see their reactions to the things that are being discussed at church and saying, well, that what they're discussing is bad, that I really identify with that. And again, like just I've always been this way. It's like I don't feel bad for being different. I just am. So I don't agree with you on this. But the thing in the Bible that we were talking about, like, can, we can reframe it so that it, it agrees with what I think is more like a God-like way or Christian way of doing things. But I don't think that it means to exclude or to reprimand in the way that we're being encouraged to reprimand this behavior in our peers. Like it just, it rubbed me the wrong way and it continues to rub me the wrong way. So like how Alex just sat in church and said, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Not nah every week, but more and more. So like between 14 and 21, it was just like, it just became more and more of a thing. I don't like this. I don't like how you're had, I don't like how you've taken a spin on this gospel, which is teaching actually a very good moral lesson. And instead of teaching that lesson, what you're doing is trying to figure out a way to reframe this text into being about stewardship and tithing. It's like, this is not about money. Oh, oh, wow. One of those churches. Yeah. It's like, this is not about money. It's like, ask about money in a different way, but don't tie it into the homily. Okay, yeah, it, and, it, 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 it always comes down to the interpretation. Like it's never like the word of the, 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 the Lord or the Bible is always go, goes one way, but it's how the church chooses to express it and you know what they interpret it as. Mm-hmm. And so it's good. Yeah. So it's really good that you at least you weren't denouncing the word. You just interpreted in your own way. That was more along with your core beliefs, which is what you're really supposed to do. 
Yeah. And I wasn't like preaching to other people, go against this. I was just, I just quietly disagreed. And it showed in my actions as well. Yeah, man. Like it's still very much a part of me. I remember actually fairly recently, maybe a year ago, I was feeling curious around or over a year ago because it was before COVID, maybe in January. Well, I don't remember. It was recently, but I went back to church. I was just like, let's see. I was like, let's just see what would happen. Try this again. Yeah, because there's one really close by to my house, and I hadn't been to a Catholic service in a really long time. I used to canter for a church, so I was just like, ah, well, let's just give it a shot. And I went to a Sunday service on a Tuesday morning, or sorry, on a service on a Tuesday morning, so it wasn't a Sunday service. There weren't a lot of people there, and I did that on purpose because I didn't want it to be like, it was during ordinary time, and it was just like a plain service. There was no celebration And I I wanted it to be just a plain service, you know. So I went and I was really hoping that I would feel something, some type of guidance from spirit in some type of way. And I was like, you know, I didn't. (laughs) I just did not. But I got on the phone with my parents afterwards. And my mom was like, oh, what'd you do today? And I was like, I went to church this morning. And she just, she started crying. She was so happy. (laughs) She was so happy that I went to church and she's like, I know that you don't really do this anymore and I'm not expecting you to continue to keep going, but I'm just so happy that you went. And that, that was an experience that made me feel a little more connected to spirit. Like even though I did not get out of the service, the mass, what I thought I was going to get, what I did get was like a moment of connection between me and my mom around something that's really important to her. And I haven't gone back since, and I haven't really explored going back since either. It just, I feel like I needed to do that just to check in with myself and say like, all right. And it really was like reevaluating my approach in relationship. I was like, maybe this needs to be part, like maybe this is something that's missing from my life that I can continue to explore that can influence the way that I behave in relationship. I don't know if it answered that question, but that was my effort. (laughs) I feel like if I was a religious person, this would be a part where I say, well, maybe your connection with your mother was the the Holy Spirit or some, some, something like that. But, you know, I don't have it in me anymore, but. At least it did something I, I can you see tried. why someone would say that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you tried, and that was a, that's what's important. Yeah. And you yeah. got something. You got from something. It. You got something. That's the important part. You got something out of it that made you feel good and made you feel connected, and that's important. Yeah. I I I walked away from that situation with the same sentiment. Like, this is good. It's good that I went and that I shared it with my mom. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we know that family relationships are interesting. Sometimes mm-hmm. difficult, sometimes joyous, and that we hope that people are taking the joy where they can in their families. I guess. So let's see what else I want to ask Alex Sham. Do you remember? Because I feel like we've gotten so far off track from what we initially wanted to ask her. Oh, okay. We may have been off track, but we we, we found a new track, and I like this track because we went to some yeah. wonderful places. I think. We're on a new path. We're on a new path to discovery. See, it's not always where you think you're going. It's about like where you end up. 
Wait, is yeah. that right? I feel like that sounds stupid. Something. Okay. Alrighty. So of course we talked a bit about your Instagram page. Like you said, you created it for people who fucks it up the first time. Mm-hmm. And so tell us more about the kind of content that you put out on there. Is it just, is it like anecdotal stories? Is it just like general guidelines for people? Like how would you say you present this idea? I think that something, at least from my exploration in terms of the narrative around non-conventional relationship is a lot of like how to that's what I'm running into a lot on Instagram is like this is this and that is that these are the definitions this is how you execute it da, 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 da. but I think that there is what I would like to offer and encourage is something missing from the narrative which is how did you get there like what were the mistakes that you made what are the stories around how you got to where you and we're constantly in those states of experiencing life and learning lessons that we can share with each other. And I, I think that all the books that I've read, cause I've, I've read a number of books. It's like, I hear, I, I hear the stories and like most of the ones that I've read are like, here's an example of this type of relationship. This is their story. And this is how it ended. Right. <laughs> and it, it's discouraging. Like even though you're getting all this information and validating, validating literature that says like you're not alone, I think there is a little I, what I would like to do is fill in the gaps of what I think are missing with these. Yeah, I guess what you said, like anecdotal stories around this is an experience that I had and these are the feelings that came up for me and not saying this is what you should do. It's just what happened and the feelings that came up. And the choices that I made. And it's it's hard for me because I want I, I thought I wanted to go in a chronological direction, but that's not what's happening. And part of the reason why I started the Instagram was to redirect some energy in my relationship with my current partner. Like I said, I don't want to seek out another partner from a place of deficit. So I wanted to take that energy and put it towards something else. And this is what came of it. And I've been trying in my, in my writings, like I keep coming up with more stories to talk about and I'm trying to find a balance between like too general, too specific. Like I do want it to feel like something that I want to offer stories around things that are common that people might run into, but I can't, like everybody's experience is so unique. So sometimes it's just around sharing the story and trying to find the right language around sharing it. Cause I do think some of my posts are a little long winded and there's probably a better way of getting the gist of the situation out. Like this infographic stuff is new for me. So I'm trying to convey a message and fill in a hole. And I want to communicate a lot in not a lot of content, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially considering, you know, you want the content to be about the content and not about like how you present yourself. I think a lot of people when yes. they do infographics, they rely on their faces in a way to carry things. Yeah. And so like, I think, yeah, that trying to strike that balance between what's too much information, not enough information, like how do I present it? How do people engage with it? Yeah, those are those are some things to think about for sure. Another challenge that I'm running into is that some of the things that I want to write about are about relationship in general, not necessarily non-conventional relationship. Just like about insecurity and Mm -hmm. about facing demons and stuff like that. 
Yeah, but I mean, those things are, well, <laughs> I've talked about this a bit with uh, Andrea Martucci of Shelf Love Podcast, shout out to Andrea, when I did an episode with her about polyamory and non-monogamy and romance novels. And she's asking like, what makes good poly? And, you know, I gave lists of stuff and she was kind of like, well, this is just like what makes great relationships. I said, I know, right? Crazy. Funny how all these things seem to go together. <laughs> but we do the most work that should be standard across the board in these unconventional relationships. So there's also like that side of it. I mean, of course, you know, there's some things that are more like non-monogamous and polyamorous specific, but when you look at the core of what makes, you know, any non-monogamous relationship you have great, those are things that should be making any relationship you have, friendship, you know, romantic, family thing great as well. That extra communication, that consideration, that consent factor, like all of those things. Mm -hmm. So I think you should just speak your truth, girl. Speak your truth. Yeah. Also, like, when I think about all these stories that I want to share, like, I relive them a little bit. And I try not to, like, I'm trying not to dig too deep, because it affects me emotionally. And I'm finding like, what I thought would be a very light, not I don't want to say lighthearted, but like separated and removed part of myself. Like when I write down, when I sit down to write something, it's like, I, I kind of relive it a little bit. So I've been avoiding it lately. I've been wanting to say something, but I don't like I have the resistance. Like I resist going through the emotions again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, you're sensitive, not like in a negative I mean, People view sensitivity as a bad thing. Like, no, but you're sensitive to these situations that you've been through. And yeah, I, I if it's not something that you can write from this completely detached place and of course I understand like being hesitant to go through certain emotions for certain situations knowing how emotionally worn out it makes you feel afterwards yeah but yeah like that's I'm I've written I think like 12 posts so far I don't remember how many but I'm trying to think of a different style and a different I don't know I just have so many freaking stories and I don't know where to start anymore I need someone to ask me a question. And I feel like that, like, this is great because you ask me a question and like, I have so much to say, but if I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a story about this partner. And it's like, oh, so much shit happened in this relationship. What do I start with? (laughs) Okay. Let's start with how you met. (laughs) Let's start there. We met at a sex party. <laughs> exactly. There you go. That's a whole, that's like a whole series of posts right there just about sex parties in general. What was different about this sex party the night that you met? Like, what did that look like for you? Oh, I, for, I know what I forgot to ask you. Kind of oh. invasive, but also not. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Are your DMs open for people to ask you questions or try to become connected to you in a more intimate way? Oh, you mean like through my Instagram account? Yeah. Yes, I would I would love that. Yeah. That would be great. And I feel like I've been craving a sense of community and if this is a way for me to do that, I'm happy to open my DMs and answer questions. See, guys, I'm doing all the work for you. We just want to build communities and connections here. We're trying to get people together. And so, I know that you're not actively seeking new partners right now because of course, really we're in this world and we've already talked about this but if someone were to slide into your dm say she's about five foot four she wears glasses she has short (laughs) hair um, she has a pretty nice rack familiar 
I'm not sure what's first possible to you, Shaft. Anyway, if she were to slide into your DMs like in a more intimate way, would that be something you're open to? Or any other particular person who is just out there? Like I said this earlier in, to, to one of your other questions, and it's just I'm open and receptive to movement. So the the connection is the start, and then we'll see how movement goes after that. See, see, guys, to, to that that person out there in the world, Alex is open. <laughs> I'm open and receptive to movement. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I will pass on the message. Okay. I, I will do that. Yeah. So tell people the title of your Instagram, where they can find you, and any parting words that you want to share with our faithful listeners. My Instagram is fucks it up the first time, spelled how you would assume it to be spelled. And my message, I would like for you to ask yourself, what is the most loving choice? I feel like I, I run into that question all the time because... That question includes so much more than we realize because sometimes we just want to be loving towards our partner, but we're forced to be loving towards ourselves. And I think that a lot of consideration, necessary consideration towards the lifestyle is packed into this question. What is the most loving choice and how do you plan to execute that? That's it, I think. Of course, you want to thank Alex so much for joining us here on the podcast and talking about her journey into non-monogamy and polyamory. We will put the links to where to find her in our show notes, but it's super easy just to go to Instagram and type, fucks it up the first time. <laughs> if you want to hear more Monogamish Pod, you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And if you happen to use Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it if you would rate and review us and click that subscribe button. It helps us to rise in the rankings. It makes us look really good. It makes me smile. I feel like that's enough of a reason to do it. Of course, you can find our latest episodes, like I said, on any podcatcher of choice. The three most recent episodes will be on SoundCloud, or you could go directly to our website, monogamishpod.com. That's where we put the details, show notes, and transcripts for episodes when I get around to it. <laughs> um, but you can also find a little clip there on each episode page. You'll be able to listen to the episode directly there. You can buy merch from us through our merch shop, monogamishpod.threadless.com, or you can just literally click the shop button on our website and it will take you directly there. There is some new merch coming soon. I know you guys are excited about it. I just want to fine tune it and perfect it and then it will be perfect and ready to go out. I know I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to the merch and how it looks. Um, we definitely also want you guys to find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash monogamishpod. We are an 18 plus platform, so you won't be able to just search for us in the search bar there. You have to type it into your browser, patreon.com slash monogamishpod. We're a bit too sexy for our shirts. Well, someone shirtless? I don't know about that. You should check it out to find out. We also post bonus episodes and behind the scenes content on there, so you can definitely see that. And if you are a patron for a certain period of time, there may be a free shirt coming your way. Just saying, just saying, just saying. You'll 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 know it when you see it. You'll know it when you see it. <laughs> we also want to thank our friends at YouTube, right? <laughs> Which is a clothing line owned by some amazing Jamaican people. Uh, you can put in code Monogamish to get ten percent off your order. And I love the shirts. Sham loves the shirts. Like honestly, it's just y'all just need to be over there. That's what y'all need to be doing. And of course, we definitely, definitely, definitely want you to interact with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at MonogamishPod, Instagram at MonogamishPod, 
Facebook, facebook.com slash monogamishpod. Um, I pretty much am curating the socials right now, so you guys can probably find me wherever they are. But if you do know me personally, I definitely recommend you text me because your girl is... (laughs) Sometimes I forget to respond to messages, okay? I'm sorry. It can take a minute, but I will always, 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 always get back to you. So there is that. So you have us on Patreon. You have us on Instagram, you have us on Twitter, you have us on Facebook, you found our website, you've rated us, you've reviewed us, you've subscribed us, you've even seen the three most recent episodes on SoundCloud. What else do you guys need to know about us? You can find me personally on Blatchelorettes, which drops every Thursday with my pod partner Lex. We are like a bachelor recap show-ish. We cover a lot of topics, so you guys can check us out there. I have another podcast called Stacked with another pod partner, Anne. We talk about romance novels and romance-related media. That comes out once a month, so the episode for March is coming out soon. If you are interested in taking part in the Bridgerton Research Project, we definitely want you to click the link that we'll have in our show notes. It's, it's also bit.ly slash Bridgerton Research. That's also a survey function for you there. You heard the ad earlier in the episode, so I'm sure you know what this is about. And we also want to thank, once again, our podcast sponsor, altplayground.net. A special shout out to Kitty Shambliss with the Loving Without Boundaries podcast. Now, thank you guys for listening to our episode. We'll catch you next time. I'm Jen, and this is Monogamish.